Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. Welcome to the Luck on Sunday podcast, a weekly audio digest of all the best bits of Luck on Sunday, free to air every Sunday from nine o'clock that brings you the best guests and insight from around the racing world. But first up, he's the champion jockey once again. Ryan Hughes, unlucky yesterday in the winner's enclosure today. Cloudy Dream draws away to win the future champion novices chase. Forrest Bean for Brian Hughes and Brian Ellison, who wins the Bonnet's Garden Old Road. Pondor Caitlin for Ruth Jefferson under Brian Hughes wins the feature. Lake Newland has won the many clouds. Bareback Jack in front, leading by two or three lengths and win. Midella Drama wins the Patrick Coy Memorial Alcar. It is dreams at home. He's made it. 200 for Brian Hughes. How are you feeling this morning? Tired, Nick, if I'm being honest. <laughs> has, it been, has it been the most demanding season on you so far? Yeah, probably has, to be fair. Um, mentally as well as physically, I'd say. Uh, but you feel centred? You feel, you feel strong mentally? Oh, absolutely, yeah. That's probably with years of experience and dealing with things, yeah. yeah. Um, definitely feel more centred now, yeah. And is there more of a depth of satisfaction to winning the championship because you've won it back, having not let it go, but Got you beaten, didn't win yeah. it last year? Yeah, yeah oh, absolutely, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, that was just that more fire in my belly than ever before, just to, you know, you know, you don't like, no one likes losing at anything. And when I got beat last year, as I said, it wasn't because Harry beat me, it was just that I got beaten. So I had, um, yeah, I wanted to win it back. And I, I sort of hadn't really given as much credit to that as I should have done until I spoke to you earlier in the week and realised how much that had kind of itched you last year. Were you sort of thinking, oh my God, was I a one-hit wonder? Was that it, one and out? Yeah, I kind of didn't want to be known as that. Um, obviously, when one of the first time season stopped early and I was obviously in front of Dickie um, in winners um, and then, you know, I-, I wanted to prove that I could see it to the end of the season and obviously last year was hugely frustrating. So, uh, yeah, I'd, um, I-, I wanted to make sure that it didn't happen again. OK, so how have you made it all work? How have you got to this position where you've got this stranglehold on the, on the Jockeys' Championship and just everything is working so well and efficiently for you? Well, I suppose, I mean, obviously, firstly, Donald's horses were running brilliant and like, his owners have all reinvested. So we just you know, wanted to make the most of every opportunity I got. And um, I mean, I've never turned down any any horse that had a glimmer of a hope of winning the race. I, I wanted to be riding it. I'm fascinated by the relationship between you and Donald McCain. Uh, he's a, a an intense, interesting, complicated, talented man, and you and he seem to have gelled very well. Why do you think that is? 
See, I don't, I don't look, I don't see all that from Donald. I just see the man. But yeah, um, yeah. Look, I, I obviously I know what he wants, and he knows how I ride. So we've sort of had to, over the years, sort of give and take a little bit. But the reality is, we both want the same thing. We want winners. So um, yeah, it 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 works well because I know if I'm riding a horse, regardless of what he said, how to ride it. If it's not working, I can change stuff, and I know that he'll stand behind me, as most of my trainers do. To be fair, because you're doing it with the best intentions to ride the winner of the race. Because you are, you are generally known as a, a quiet rider, quite a patient rider, and that can sometimes incur people's wrath, can't it? If they think you've, you know, you've left one too late, or you haven't really given it the the maximum, it hasn't really looked to the eye as though you've you've really mucked it out. But I, I guess one of your strengths is that you've. You've never wavered from your belief in that style of doing things. No, I think that's who I am, really. It's just how, like, going back to when I was starting out with Kevin Prendergast, that's sort of, that stuff, it, when you learn, it's instilled in you from a young age, that, you know, and, and that's your style of riding. And um, I can only ride like me. I can't ride like A.P. McCoy or Richard Johnson. So, uh, you know, I, I've stuck to that, you know. Have you ever tried to change your game a, a bit or not? I remember when I first came to Howard Johnson's and um, obviously been watch AP and Richard Dunwoody and Tony Dobbin or the Northern Ireland jockeys that sort of you'd always look up to. It's a decent group from a yeah, pretty small, small country, yeah, isn't it? Absolutely. And um, I remember one morning on the schooling ground in Howard's, um, I would be giving Graham Lee and Alan Dempsey a lead over fences on an old horse. And um, I remember... Howard ringing my agent and says don't get that lad up any rides over fences because he'll kill himself because I was just sending these things down to the fence and, and the horses would, would respond and they'd be standing up outside the wings and really attacking the jumps because you know that's you know um, I soon realised that that wasn't my riding style and, and uh, I had to just let you know calm it all down a bit so you, you were sort of trying to do a Dunwoody or a McCall, well, you'd but it wasn't AP quite and stuff and, and Dickie and, and the lads, and yeah, they'd be very, you know. Um, but yeah, I, I soon realised I couldn't do that. Did you did you watch them and wonder how they how they did do what they did in a different way? Yeah, I mean, that's sort of, when you're getting into this sport as a young jockey, you, you, you do, you watch all the the good jockeys, that, you know, the older lads, and, and you just think, well, how can I sort of shoehorn that into my style and mm. you know I like what they do I like what he does you know and, and just sort of take bits from everybody really but I suppose what unifies and I, we're going to talk to Dave Roberts in a, in a little while but and I, I suppose what unifies you and Johnson and McCoy is just that focus that focus on the pursuit of winners um, when did that really kick in for you it's all, I've always had it really um, ever since you know you, you ride your first winner you get that feeling and it's just there's no feeling like it um, and it's like anything else the more winners you have the more you want you get greedier and greedier and it's just yeah and then you know obviously when you're in this position you just don't want to be not in this position you want to be champion jockey mm. and I had an interesting chat with AP yesterday and yeah it's just you know he said you know it's, you torture yourself because you want to be there and you know you just you love to have that torture because it's hunger. You want, you know, you just want to be the best you can be. I mean, but he he almost made a virtue of of that and has talked quite openly about it being an almost masochistic pursuit. I don't see you quite in in that bracket, or are you? Or do you really put yourself through that much mental 
strain and anguish? I suppose I'm a bit more reserved than that, but um, I, I would, yeah, I'd torture myself, but uh, like within rather if I've left the winner behind, if I feel I've left the winner behind, mm. yeah, that's worse than any any um, trainer given off to me or whatever, you know. If I know I've left one behind, that hurts more than anything. Okay, can you close the door when you get home and forget about it? I can now. Years ago when I was a lot younger, I, I'd, you'd struggle with it for days, but I suppose since getting married and having the kids and stuff, they put a bit more perspective in your life. So, yeah, I, I can deal with it a lot better now. So you can compartmentalise a little oh, bit more. absolutely, yeah. But actually, it's probably all still going on in Yeah, it's still irk you. It'll still irk you a couple of, you know, if you know, I've left that one behind or that could have gone better, or, yeah. You mentioned starting out with Kevin Prendergast. This is something we've talked about in, in interviews a little bit before and the sort of grounding that gave you and, and the extent to which it made you the, the man and the jockey you are today. How big a part do you think that played? Massively, really, because obviously when you're a young kid getting into racing or in the, coming out of the racing centres or whatever, you know, you think you know it all, really. Mm -hmm. And um, it was a tough school, but, you know, it, it put manners on us in the right way. Kevis, we worked hard, but we got rewarded with rides and, you know, we were nurtured along. Um, and as I say, it was a good school for young jockeys to go to because I feel it's definitely put me, like, on the right path. You know, you weren't going to get anywhere without working hard. Like, we worked, like, we had to work hard, but, again, we were rewarded for it. And I look back now and, you know, at the time I thought, oh, this is torture, but, mm. you know, look back <laughs> now and, and it wasn't it. I didn't actually realise how good a trainer he actually was and, and what he was doing for us, you know. But did you feel, now looking back on it, that he was thinking about developing your career, that it was an apprenticeship in the truest sense of the word? Absolutely, yeah, and, and, and developing me as a person as well. Like, you know, it is, it, you know, when you're young, you don't see that sort of side of things, you know. You're just thinking, oh, he's, he's being hard on me and this and that. But, no, it, looking back, he, he definitely... Um, he was molding me to you know to to the, to for life as well as a jockey. When you moved to to the UK, was there an obvious place for you to go, or were you coming here more in hope than expectation? No, um, obviously I, I'm 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 very good friends with the Orion family. Um, obviously Kevin and uh, but Bobby and Sheila and Kevin and, and Aidan, and um, obviously um, I used to right out on a lunchtime after Kevin's uh, in bought for Bobby um, with all the yearlings and stuff um, and it, Kevin was my agent and he somehow man managed to get me on a, a winning ride for Jim Bulger uh, one one weekend and, do, you, um, do you believe that's his finest achievement? It must be <laughs> and um, yeah he, he um, Howard happened to see it and was chatting to Bobby about something and he said oh that lad rode away all your yearlings from last year and that was the link and then um, yeah so when I was sort of when the, it got too much for the weight to do the weight on the flat I, I had the job at Howard's in, instantaneously really true, yeah. true Bobby um, How was Howard Johnson to ride for? Um, yeah it was different <laughs> um, not so much to ride for but um, you know a culture shock really yeah. I'd, I'd only known what Kevin Prendergast does, you know, in the routine he had with his horses to go to Howard's, and it was a little bit different, yeah. I mean, he, he's quite a character. Absolutely. <laughs> and how was it as a as a stable jockey in terms of the, the sort of 
you know, you talk about your relationship with Donald, and you were much younger then, completely different character. And there's this sort of kind of very able, but slightly kind of um, manic firebrand of a, of a figure training the horses. Yeah, um, again, it was different, but again, I went as conditional. Graham Lee was the stable jockey. And um, yeah, you, you, you sort of, sort of realised then there was more than one way to, to, to train horses really yeah. and there's no you know one, who's to say one's more correct than the other but um, yeah like it, it was good I mean I, like you were you were getting to sit on horses like at the time there was like horses coming like a fourth in a derby placed in an arc you know placed in a St. Ledger to go jumping you know like they, they were like getting out of one Ferrari into the next one, you know what I mean? They're just different species to what, you know, now, because look, now them horses are being shipped to Australia or Hong Kong, but, like, you know, Mr. Mrs. Wiley was buying these horses to go jumping, and, and they were like, you know, I think the first um, the first few, few weeks of me being there, he rode these three horses, first, second, and third lot, and I think the three of them cost a million pound, you know, to go jumping. Yeah. Do you know, like, and, and that was the, the that was the and that culture. was then? Yeah. Because, like, I mean, obviously, Kevin Prendergast would have bought horse on a, on a, on a smaller scale, but yeah, so it was, it was definitely, um, it was a big eye opener, and I mean, the talent they had at the time was was phenomenal. Uh, welcome back. News on Josh Moore, and a lot of you have sent messages this morning, passing on your good wishes, uh, keeping your fingers firmly crossed for him. Uh, I've been in, in touch with Josh's sister Haley this morning and she tells me that Josh uh, is still stable. Um, he had a restful night, he is stable, he is under sedation and his mum Jane and his partner Phoebe are still at his bedside and clearly um, we're thinking of all the more family and Josh uh, in particular but um, he is still stable at present. Lee Mossett, senior writer from the Racing Post is with me now and as you pointed out Lee this morning in your column and Brian you'll have seen in the weighing room everybody at Sandown yesterday thinking of Josh. Yeah absolutely um, it was there in the in the background all the time it was there in everybody's thoughts I remember being at Sandown in February Nick on that um, uh, that February Saturday in, in early in early in the month that they have at Sandown, and that was Josh's first winner back, having sustained having received spinal surgery following a fall in October, and it was horrifying to think that just well less than three months later, oh. he's in the situation he's in now. You wouldn't wish that sort of thing on anybody, um, but I would also say that. You look at someone like Josh Moore, and if there's one person in the world who doesn't deserve that, it's him. I mean, he has been so unlucky yeah. in his career, and he's such a nice guy. I mean, that whole family, they just have decency running right through them. Um, and to see it happening, to see such horrible things happening to such a good person is really, really distressing. Yeah, tough for the, for the whole community, Brian. And I, I'm sure everybody was, was thinking about him in the waiting room yesterday. Yeah, I mean, it is a it is a sombre feeling, really, because you say Josh and Jamie, everyone's quite close to them because you know they are, as Lee said, they're they're decent fellas, and you know you couldn't meet nicer lads. Um, but yeah, I mean, you just pray and hope and pray that you know he's okay because it's uh, it's it's horrible. Because I mean, you only think only if anyone deserved a, a better slice of luck, it's that it's Josh, you know. 
as I said, we are keeping our fingers very firmly crossed um, for Josh um, and thanks to, to Hayley for the update this morning. Brian Hughes was crowned champion jockey yesterday for the second time, regaining his title. A conditional jockey was Kevin Brogan, who's made a, a really significant impression. There he is receiving his trophy from Grand National winning rider Sam Whaley-Cohen. 46 successes during the 2021-2022 season, and he joins us on the line now. Kevin, good morning. Good morning, Nick. How are you? I'm very well. Um, this, uh, it's been a wonderful season for you. Uh, how, how big an ambition, how big an aspiration was this when the, when the season began? Uh, look, it's, it's unbelievable now, to be honest. It's the start of the season, I didn't think it was going to be possible. Like, you know, it's, it's such a big achievement and, you know, something like something as massive as that, you know, doesn't really happen to people like me. You know, I'm only, I'm only a young lad from Kill, like, and, uh, you know, it's just, it's just been such a, such a journey for me and I just can't thank everybody enough, you know, all the, Owners and trainers have supported me so far, and all the stable staff along the way as well. Like it's really just been just a roller coaster for me, and I just can't thank everybody on that supported me. You know, I know you're on. I know you're on your way back to Ireland, back to back to Kill, where the where the journey began. Um, I'd imagine there'll be some very proud people back home, won't there? Who who would you say has been chiefly responsible for getting you to this point? Yeah, well, I hope it was anyway, but uh, look at me. My mum and dad have supported me so much. Um, I can't thank them enough, really. You know, it's, um, you know, drive me all over the country back home, and then let me come over here as well. Like it's obviously a big thing for them. I can, you know, they're standing down there yesterday. Just really hope that I'm able to make them proud at the end of the day as well. Like you know, you were two and a half years with with Gordon Elliott. A tough place to. To, to walk away from and it wasn't lost on me as you picked up your, your trophy yesterday that the feature race was won by, by Jordan Gainford a man who was sort of slipping into your shoes in some respects Yeah, yeah obviously it was a, it was a monumental decision for me at the time um, you know, obviously I, I, didn't want to, I didn't want to leave Gardens because it was such a good it was such a good place to work and he's such a good man to ride for as well like you know he, he's really um He's really the reason why I'm, why I'm still riding. He, he got me going, you know. I started riding as a conditional for him, and he's been very good to me, get, get me going. And we rode a couple of winners there back home, got a good few rides off, and got a got good experience. And, uh, you know, if it wasn't for him, like, I probably wouldn't be here. Like, but, you know, I'm delighted for, for Jordan there yesterday, riding the big winner there, and um, for Shark Hamlin there yesterday. Like, you know, delighted for him. Like, you know, he, he really deserved it as well. They you know, he, such a sound lad, like, and I hope he made the most of it there yesterday. So, what is the plan now? Do you have a a, a, a strategy for for next season? Um, stay in one piece, hopefully. <laughs> um, it's probably the most important thing. But look, it's uh, fun's over now. It's time to time to start working hard and just hopefully try and keep improving as much as I can. Like, you know, even though I can probably at my um, the end of my tether now and the claim but you know there's still a lot of improvements left there and try and keep improving away and try and keep fit and healthy and hopefully try and keep riding as much as I can and try and build more contact as we go and 
can sit on a couple of along the way, it'll be even better, you know. And are you are you riding punches down this week? Yeah, hopefully, you know, hopefully they might have a few bits and bobs over there, please God, you know, but uh, we got to go home and see the family first, then uh, enjoy what we can, and hopefully we can make a, make a couple of rides over there, be even better. So it's a bit of a working holiday? Yeah, exactly, yeah. No, I'm looking forward to it now, to be fair. Punch down is only 10 minutes away from me, it'd be my local track, so it's always so great to go back and for the festival and that, so yeah, really looking forward to it. Kevin, thanks for talking to me. Congratulations. No problem. Thank you very much, Nick. Kevin Brogan, champion, conditional jockey, somebody clearly with a, I was going to say, a big future. He's pretty big in the present now. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he's a good rider and a good lad too. And what would be, what would characterise his riding, do you think? When you when you look at him, do you think, yeah, he's he's got something? Yeah, he, he just seems a very natural rider. He, he, he's, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't stick out. Um, and that's a good thing. I mean, he's always he's always seems to be in the right place. You know, he doesn't look like a conditional. He, he looks fairly fairly fi- finished finished article now. Um, and yeah, he's he's a nice patient rider, and he he seems to have a nice have a, always have a nice smooth passage through a race. And um, yeah, he's riding plenty of winners. Yeah. And, and and the thing is, he's riding for big trainers, so they wouldn't be putting up if they didn't see. And of course, from what we didn't discuss when we were talking about people you kind of aspired to get to their standard, we didn't talk about all the young guys like Kevin Brogan who are coming up behind you. How much do you have to keep a, an eye in the rearview mirror? Well, you're always taught in this game not to, to look backwards, but look, there's a lot of lads coming coming through um, and, and a lot of good ta- talented fellas. And um, yeah, I mean, look, they're always, you know, they're always going to be coming through, and 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 I say when they ride as well as they do, they're always going to be for me to be feared. Yeah. And when you've got like a twenty, twenty-one year old, twenty-two year old coming through, obviously, you're thirty-six. I mean, nowadays physically that shouldn't impinge upon you in any way. But does it? Do you think? Right, I've got to work a bit harder to compete with them for fitness and physical strength. And no, I don't really think so. I think I think in general everyone like I mean, you know. In general, everyone now would be working better on their fitness. I mean, like, yeah. there's a lot of lads in the way room. Everyone will go running before the, the race. You know, they're going to gyms more. I mean, with these facilities that we have now, Jack Berry House, uh, Oaksley House, and Sir Peter O'Sullivan House. You know, when we've got these facilities to to get fitter and and stronger, and you know, with strength and conditioning coaches and in places and stuff. You know, you know, I think everyone's fitness and and general health is better. It wasn't a massive surprise to anybody that you were champion jockey again. It was even less of a surprise to anybody that Paul Nichols was champion trainer once again. <clears throat> Excuse me. 13 times Paul Nichols has now collected uh, this trophy. Only two more before he equals his once great rival, Martin Pipe. I'm sure his sights are on that target, but as far as yesterday was concerned, he was content with five of the seven winners. And he's uh, on the line now. Um, Paul, good morning. Good morning, Nick. That was, um, as all days go, a pretty a pretty special day. Did, did that rank right up there in all the years you've done this? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was a fantastic day. Um, Harry was obviously very keen to try and get the 100 up, and um, we thought we had the horses in really good shape there for the meeting. The ground was perfect. Um, we were hoping to have a good day, and it was even better than we ever imagined. I mean, I, he, Harry's finished on 99 not out, and the one thing that really struck me was that 
when you when you were greeting Sam Eve, it was his 99th winner of the season, you were kicking yourself for not putting him on McFabulous. I know, I, that was the only thing about that end of the day. I sort of steered him towards Garamanga thinking at the weight and being fresh that he might have the, the best chance for it. Then I thought about it last night. I thought, oh, that was a stupid thing to do. Perhaps I should I got that one wrong. But, you know, 99 is still a fantastic um, achievement for him. He, he, he's riding so well at the moment. He's just getting better and better, which is good. You two seem to have, we've talked quite a bit this morning about trainer-jockey relationships. You two seem to seem to click and just get on really well. Do you think your your sort of personalities quite quite sort of suit each other? They sort of complement each other? Yeah, yeah, that's fairly obvious. I mean, you know, we're all trying very, very hard. We're all under a lot of pressure and we want things done right. And he knows me and I know him. We have a few up and downs, but in any anything like that, you're bound to. But, you know, we never hold a grudge. It's soon forgotten. And he, he's, he's just getting better and better. I think yesterday was as, as, as well as I've ever seen him ride. I think he's just getting better. And yeah, he's still a young man. He's, he, he's doing well, but you know, he's a good friend. He's a good friend to all the owners and everybody here. And we all share his success. And I said to him yesterday, really, really proud of you. And he, you know, I mean that he's done extremely well. And I could see how much that win in the celebration chase meant to him on, on Grenatine. And uh, Brian and I were chatting about it earlier. He he gives off the, the, the image of being a, a pretty chilled out character, but the fire is burning pretty hard there, isn't it? Oh, it is, yeah. I mean, he really enjoyed that one because obviously he's probably missed out a couple of times riding in Hitman or something else with a little bit of loyalty to other owners and Brian had got on board. But to get on him yesterday, he, he, he really enjoyed that moment, gave it a super ride. Um, and the horse, you know, was at his very best, so that was good. And yeah, you can see how he loved that winner. Uh, it seemed a strange thing to say, and I, we talked about this, all of us talked about it yesterday, about a horse who's won three races at the elite level and has sort of making Sandown his own. But it's a question of whether you think you can get him to a place where he's absolutely amongst those really elite uh, two-mile chasers. Well, it's always hard. Um, you know, some of those Irish horses are very, you know, are very, very good. Although Jack can push and finish behind him in the Tingle Creek. Um, and he actually ran very well in, in the champion chase when he last ran it two years. He was only beaten two events. But I, I'm not convinced John brings it the best of him. For some reason, Sandown suits him very, very well. Um, and I think he probably, his horse, he was once upon a time, not that long ago, rated 135 when he started chasing, yeah. where he's gone. He's a little bit of an over-retiever. But horses like him that are consistent, they jump well, they're genuine, is what you want. And he is a, you know, whatever his level of ability, he is just a fantastically genuine super horse, and that's what you want. And you mentioned yesterday he's he's had this little ulcer in his eye that he yep. picked up um, uh, just after the Dublin Rest Racing Festival. That clearly wasn't bothering him yesterday. Well, no, it, it wasn't. He, he had three three weeks of the vet having treatment and steroids, and wanting to clear it up. And then since then, he, we were able. They said you're able to carry on with him, but after Sandown, we need to see him back just to have a small bit of surgery to re finally remove it. So he's been having a hood on him at home just so he doesn't get wind and sort of cold in it, just to help him. That's all gone fine. Yesterday, obviously, he was fine, um, and tomorrow he's, he's just going to have a small op just to sort it out, and then he'll be fine for next season. And you know, those horses that won yesterday that you know had you just been not struggling with, but just had frustrating seasons, McFabulous and. Uh, and San Calvados, how how satisfying was that? Well, it was good to, to win with those. But Fabulous in particular, he's, you know, he, he should have gone chasing this year, but he picked up a minor injury early in the season, so that delayed us. And then it's not easy. He has to run in all the, all the best races, really. Um, obviously, Miss Chapman when it rained, but yeah, to go and win that yesterday, good prize money, do his confidence good, and he'll be chasing in the in the autumn. And San Calvados, now he's just took a while to get the hang of. 
We've changed his training routine after he got when he bled at Ascot. That seemed to work. And the better ground yesterday and let him bowl along from the front suited him well. And obviously the start helped him. But I think he'd have been hard to beat yesterday anyway. Whatever happened, he was just in really good form. Uh, Clan Days Oboe. This, the, we're not done yet because Clan Days Oboe uh, could yet give you another massive success at, at Punchestown this week. Did yesterday and, and <clears throat> this week as a whole and just everything coming together, did that enhance your confidence behind his chance? It looks a hell of a race. Look, it's a hell of a race he won there last year, but he's just followed the same path as last year. You know, he won at Aintree and, and um, you know, was obviously going over there. I think the track suits him very nicely. I think he's a few pounds better right-handed than he is left-handed. But as you said, it's a fantastic race. It probably could be one of the races of the festival. And we're just looking forward to being in the mix and hope he can run his, his, his race and run very well. And are you going to run Mon Miral in Punchestown as well? No, he he's. I think we took him out, didn't we? I, I, I'm not. He's definitely not running. He he he's he's ready to go home. He'll be never chasing in the autumn. He'll be excited for that job. But no, so the only runner we'll have there is is Clanders about. Well, he's some runner to have. Paul, thanks so much, and congratulations for all of us again. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, Paul Nichols, who had just the five winners at Sandown Park. I mean, the relentless, remorseless uh, Paul Nichols, always looking ahead. And yesterday. Lee asked him about a couple of these. He's Nappers Hill. He's already got that one marked out for the Greatwood Hurdle. McFabulous Chepstow chasing debut. Yeah. I mean, it, all the bits are there already. Yeah, he he's an amazing guy. Um, I don't, I can't think of anybody, any racing participant I speak to in the job who more enjoys talking about racing yeah. than Paul Nichols. Yeah, because some people are like, oh, God, I, just, I, can't, I don't want to talk about, talk about racing. He just loves it. Yeah. You know, he loves it. He's, he's a dream for people doing our job because you ring him and he'll always answer or he'll ring you back and he'll, he'll, he'll talk, he'll give you interesting comments. Um, his enthusiasm for it is, is extraordinary. Um, I mean, I think he will be walking his box the next week with no racing, no entries to make, no, no, no targets to, to, to plot. I thought it was an interesting exchange between Paul and one of his protégés, Dan Skelton, mm-hmm. um, yesterday after the, after the celebration chase. As I was walking along, Paul was on one side of the rail, Dan was on the other, and Paul was talking about grenadine. He said to Dan, this horse is still improving. To which Dan's reply is basically, no, he's not, you're just getting better. Um, and I think even Dan, <laughs> someone who's been based there for so long, saw all the amazing things that Paul achieved, can still see his old boss is still getting better, which is a pretty frightening thought for all those who come along trying to compete with him. And one of those now, of course, will be the latest protégé, Harry Derham, who finished in the role yesterday. Yeah. And is about to start training from his own base near Newbury. Yeah. And he's definitely got the, the sort of warmth of personality that yeah. he'll certainly attract owners. But there is no one. I mean... You think you're hungry. <laughs> I mean, no, no, one, no one matches that guy, do they? Absolutely not, no. I mean, as you say, he's, he's phenomenal. His, his record is there to see, isn't it? All the champions he's had through his hands. And, um, yeah, he's still itching to improve and, at, at his stage. I always wonder when you walk out into the paddock to go and ride horses, what, I mean, the extent to which you kind of cast an eye over all the others and just sort of see what sort of nick they're in. Because it struck me yesterday when I walked out and I looked at, I can't remember which of his runners it was, I think it was San Calvados, and I thought, my God, that looks magnificent. Mm. It looks like it's having its first run of the season. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, I, I'm, I'm always of the belief if they don't look well, they can very rarely run well. I mean, obviously there is the exception to the rule, but they have to look well, surely, if they're going to run well. I mean, so, you, can, you can run the rule over some of yesterday's racing. Did it, did it feel to you like 
like top quality racing or did it have a kind of end of season feel to it riding in those races? No, I felt we, we were going pretty decent gallops throughout the day and, and obviously the, the better horses kept going and most of the ones I was on <laughs> stayed, stayed where they were. Um, let's just spin through some of the highlights. I, I think we're going to come to to the feature race Hewick in a minute, and we're going to hear from Shark Hanlon. But let's talk about some of the some of the Nichols winners. Um, Grenatine seems a seems a good place to start. It's really just a question with him as to whether he can string performances like that together away from away from Sandow. But he is very genuine, Brian. You wouldn't mind having him in your yard, uh, Nick, if he's if you he can win at Sandown, There's plenty of decent races mm. there. Um, if you win at Tingle Creek in this every year, you'd be very yeah, happy. Yeah. Absolutely. If, you, if you're going to be a good two-mile chaser, Sandown is the right place to be a good two-mile chaser. Right? He loves the track. Um, I think, to an extent, you can uh, you can say that Nube Negra hasn't run his race. He would normally be on the bridle for a lot longer than he was. He's been a good, solid yardstick in so well. But you can't take anything away from the performance. He jumped brilliantly, and he gets into a great rhythm around there as Paul Paul pointed out it meant a lot to Harry Cobden obviously Harry wasn't riding this time last season when when Bryony got on the horse um the, the horse was great in the Tingle Creek under Bryony in December now great here under under Harry in April mm. and I don't think he will win a champion chase at any point down the line but if he's winning one or both of the the celebration in the Tingle Creek every season they won't care yeah they won't care um they'll want to a good prize they want a really significant prize out of San Calvados because his talent probably demands it he was just kind of gifted this, though, yesterday, wasn't he, Brian, really? Well, he was gifted a good lead at the start. Yeah. Really, when the second whipped around and sort of impeded uh, Charlie Hammond's horse on mine. And then he, he, he had a head start. But he, on his King George run, you'd like to, you know, he, he had the form to, to, to win the race. But obviously he's had a few question marks over a few other runs since. But he clearly is a talented horse. What sort of gallop were you going? Um, to be fair, my horse felt felt flat out the whole way, but he did have a hard race at entry two weeks ago, and he did have a troubled trip down um, the day before. So that, but yeah, it felt like we were going quick. Um, Ian and Anne Hamilton, who you were riding nuts well for, we can't really conclude the season without tipping our hats to them because that strike rate is extraterrestrial, yeah. isn't it? Six, well, they had six different, they ran six different horses, and they've got four in training, so. I think they, they say they fairly maximised all their opportunities. Um, now they're a great team, Anne's, Anne's a brilliant trainer. Um, like she, she lives and breeds them horses. I mean, she's you know she's she it's no fluke to, to see that she's having the success she's having because she puts her heart and soul into it, and and she deserves all her success. Okay, I, I wanted to. <coughs> I'm going to finish with uh, with Hewick, but wanted to talk about one of the other good stories from yesterday, which was the the Josh Gifford race, which was won by his ex stable jockey Richard Rowe up the straight. James Davis rode the horse as well. Uh, James's dad Hewell had been a um, a riding colleague of uh, of Richard's at Josh's, so everything all came together. And I c- couldn't believe it was James's first ever winner at Sandown. That's just that's an astonishing fact, isn't I it? I know. Um, this race um, is named after someone who was a, obviously a, a, an incredible trainer, Josh Gifford, but also someone who was very in touch with his emotions. And it wasn't unusual for the odd tear to roll down the cheek. And it's amazing how yeah. many results it's produced that have had the same outcome, obviously with Nick winning at his son and Richard Rowe, who was so closely associated with Josh Gifford. Um, and it's really lovely to see when a race like this is won by someone or some people to whom it just means that bit more than it might have done 
to anybody else. So um, at a race course that seems to get so many uh, emotional moments, yeah. that was another one yesterday. It's, what is it now, 19 years since Josh Gifford saddled his final winner at Sandown with Sky Cab. Yeah. Um, it was 40 years since Richard Rowe won the Whitbread Gold Cup for Josh Gifford on Shady Deal, Shady 1982 Deal. in the colours of Jeff, Jeff Hubbard. Yeah. And he, of course, himself trained the winner of the Whitbread with eulogy, eulogy. And that was what now? 24 years ago. And that is astonishing. Yeah. I, I, I remember that day yeah. and it doesn't half age you. Yeah, you were probably reporting on it. In very short You were probably trousers. the senior writer for the Racing Post. <laughs> Not that old. Um, the feature race yesterday, though, threw up arguably the best story of all. A horse that was bought for just 800 quid, the price of a cow, as Shark Hanlon <laughs> said. And we'll hear from him in a moment. This was Hewick. And the more you watch this, the more easily the horse seems to have won the race, Brian. Yeah, he's... he's, he's um, I mean, this horse... Funny enough, he, he, got, he started off his season getting beat at Perth, then he went and won at, at Sedgefield, Durham National, and barring an average run at, um, at Utoxer last time, he's, he's, he hasn't half improved this year. That, they might be hoisting the bunting in County Durham, won't they, at Sedgefield for, the, for, the, for Hewick? Well, absolutely, yeah, definitely. Not often Sedge throws up a winner like this. Well, to be fair, they had that good juvenile, didn't they, of, um, of Milton Harris's that won at entry. But, ah, yes, but, yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I say this uh, shark's done. He's done. He's done this with a few horses. The, the, the Sky Ace. He's yeah. Got for six hundred. Six. Uh, I mean, this one was. Dear he was expensive yeah. then. He, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's uh, he, he's done that with a few horses. So, and he's a great character as well, isn't he? Well tipped up, uh, this horse, Jonathan Neesom and Tom Siegel and Kate Tracy and all sorts of others going for for Hewitt. This is what Shark had to say to me. I think that went down quite well, don't you, Shark? Yeah, the Irish follow each other the whole time and they sport each other. Look at them over there, around. they're in numbers. <laughs> so there. No, it's just great now. We were probably very unfortunate in Yotoxer. I thought he had the win of the race in Yotoxer when the Grey Horse carried him out. And in fairness to Jordan, he, he just sat up and pulled him up. And he came in, he says, I'm sorry, he says, I think he would have won. And I said, don't mind that, he'll win in Sandown. Because the plan was you tax her and come here then. Because he's first run of the season in your tax her. And um, we, I just, he, all he does is stay. Very dear horse again, cost 800 quid. Um, another one that cost 800 one, quid. Another one that cost. It's a magic number, isn't it? I love it, I love it, I love it. But um, it was great. We had a great day. The first winner today, uh, the family bred him. Uh, Rachel's father read him and by Valorant he stands the fire so like um, it's off been a great day Alright so what what attracted you to this horse at 800, 800 quid? He's a very good walker and I bought him in Gorsebridge in the sales beside me at home and I just he was a real I love a good walking horse and um, he could walk and um, I said at the price he, he's only the price of a, a cow <laughs> He's, he's not a huge horse, but you can see when, when Jordan got on him, he kind of he kind of swells, doesn't he? He's a horse who really carries himself. He, well. he, I, I, I went and had a few quid on him because when he got up on him in the ring, he started bouncing. And um, I just I, I, I said that I um, never saw him as well. 
Uh, my own young lad is after riding him out here for the last three days. And he rang me this morning, Daddy. He said, I wanted back to horse me. He said, and I said, why? He said, he nearly booked me off this morning. So, um, it was all good, good vibes. So this is your son who's been riding yeah. him out the last yeah. three days? Paddy is 14. He rides him out. And how long before uh, will Paddy get a licence when he's 16? He's pony racing at the moment. Uh-huh. So he, he rode 10 winners last year, pony racing. You can see where I'm going with this. This fella's only seven. Yeah. Will Paddy be on him in this race in two years' time? It's quite possible. He, I, said to, I said to him, I said, how would you like to ride up that straight this morning when I came here? I said, how would you like to ride in a race? Oh, he says, it'd be a dream for me, Dad. So we'll have to get back here someday. All right, so you've just got a couple of years to wait. Have you got anything really in mind for him no. next year? Because it's going to be tough because he's not that big and he's going to have a share of weight wherever he goes. He's going to have plenty of weight and where he goes, but he's a tough little horse. And um, he's a summer horse now. He won't hand in soft ground. And your tax for the last day of the ground was soft and it was probably, you know, it wouldn't be an ideal. But um, I think, I well, have not planned, not planned. Um, I said last year when he won, I said, you'll see a lot of me next year, and that is this year, and you will. All them long-distance chases will probably come over for them all. Do you know, like there's nothing, nothing in stone. He'd probably end up a national horse at some stage. Think he could, do you think he could go well in a national? Yeah, I would. I think he would. I think he's tough, and you have to have a tough horse for a national. And he has plenty, he's plenty of gears. Not fast, but plenty of gears. He, he, um, he, he'd jump out there and he'd lie up a two-mile horse. You know, and but he stayed going that pace the whole way. Tell me, you haven't got to get home in a hurry. The plan was to go home this evening, but the plan just changed. <laughs> <laughs> well done, Sean. Thanks, lads. Thanks. Well done. You want winners? How about, how about forty-two thousand two hundred and sixty-four of them booked? by our next guest, Dave Roberts, through 36 years. Um, not your first rodeo here in the, the Luck no. on Sunday studio, but it's good to have you back. I can't believe I've managed to get you out of the lair twice. <laughs> I reckon that's more than most of your jockeys have. I think I can't believe you got me out of the lair after the party <laughs> last night. That's the problem. Um, no, it's, it's time, you know, I've had a great innings and dealt with, fortunately, the best jump jockeys, I would say. And... Um, but every, you know, every man has to stop at some stage, and this is it. And um, are you going to find it easy to wean yourself off? I was speaking to people yesterday, and the answer is I don't know. I know it's the right time. That's the one thing I've got no regrets on. Um, but am I going to find it easy? I don't know. I've always thought I'm someone who can find things to do. As you know, my beloved Chelsea, and now I've got a new wife and grandchildren, and you know, I'm sure the time will be taken up, but it, the honest answer is I don't know. You, you weren't one of the bidders for Chelsea, were you? Mm. <laughs> we tried to put a consortium together, but fell well short. Yeah. I, I, I wasn't too far, wasn't too far wide of the mark. Um, obviously, you'll forever be known for your association with AP McCoy, and we'll talk about it in a, in a little while. Uh, one thing I'm quite interested in is the extent to which you've become so addicted to winning that the victories of Brian Hughes have um, just put a little bit of a, a dent in your enthusiasm. Um, I rung Brian and spoke to him yesterday, and I rung Richard Howey's agent when they got to 200 winners. It's a massive achievement, and I hope they appreciate and look back and realise how, having done it, mm-hmm. how hard it is. And um, there's a lot goes on behind the scenes that you don't realise, which is very stressful and to do to get to that target in a season 
you know, is is right up there with one of the best performances ever. Um, I still <laughs> would take the view. I don't think there can be anybody who could match Mr. McCoy's totals. Um, I might be wrong, but I still think it's a, it's a big ask in my lifetime, anyway. But I suppose what I was rather cruelly getting at was that has has him winning accelerated your decision to to step down? Oh no, no, no. I um, I think um, there's quite a few good young jockeys who are coming through um, who have the potential to be a champion jockey. Um, it'd be unfair to mention, but I think this year. Six or seven of my jockeys have had their best season and they're really on the up. And that's the hard decision to walk away because you know you've got like a little bit like I say, your second team and they're coming into the first team and you're sort of waiting for them to flourish and you're leaving that behind. That's probably the little niggly thing in the back of the mind. But I'll be following their careers and I've said to them all, I'll offer all the support they want and, um, you know, I'm not going anywhere. And if I pick the paper up and I see Sean Bowen on something that he shouldn't be on, I'll be the first one to text him and say, get yourself off that, that's no good, you know. Okay, so you're, you're sort of retiring. But... Mm, I'm retiring, <laughs> but I will just have a little monitor, have one eye just over it to make sure they're not doing silly things. Okay. Um, when you look at all your, all your riders, and there's still 48, I think we counted the yep. other day. We weren't sure whether it was 47 or 48. We'd say 48, I Something think like it was, that. yeah, yeah. Uh, 14 of the top 20 I counted this yep. season. That's pretty extraordinary, your, your grip and stranglehold. Of those 14, or maybe it'll be ones below, who would be the, who would be the automatic pick for someone if they, if they were looking at those from an agent's point of view? I'm not saying who's the mm. best rider. No, no. From an agent's point of view, who would be the most attractive to pick up now in terms of stage of career? Revenue likely, all that sort of stuff. What a big question that one is. <laughs> um, so I'm not asking you to tell me who's the best. No, no. I think if you're looking, if you ask me who would be the potential champion jockey, knowing the mentality and how much he wants it, I would say Sean Bowen. I think he has got, he definitely will be a champion jockey one day. Um, but you, you know, you, you've got Tom Cannon, Jack Quinlan, Adam Wedge, they're all coming through their careers and really going, they're going to be top 10 jockeys, top 5 jockeys. You know, and then Tom Scudamore, I mean, Aidan Coleman, Nick Odebar, you could go on, Harry Cobden. You know, there's, you know, there's, there's, no, there's, there's nothing saying that any one of them can't be champion jockey, but I think if, you're, if your aim is to be champion jockey, that's got to be the main focus. And like Brian was saying, it is about numbers. Whether you like that argument or not, it is about yeah. numbers. But it's also about how much you value totals and numbers and mm. the extent, as I was trying to get out with him, the extent to which you are goal-driven as a human being, isn't yeah. it? Yes, exactly. And, and Sean Bowen would be, right. if, you, if he walked through the door now and said, what's the first thing he wants to do is be champion jockey, what, straight away. Why haven't you got him closer to being champion jockey than he has been? Um, I think he's still very young. Mm. You know, People think he's older than he probably is. He's, he's been around a long time, but he started very young. Um, you need a good base and someone who's going to be training. You know, you look at the people that are around um, in the south. You know, you you need like a Paul Nichols for Harry Cobden, um, Nico and Nicky Henderson. You know, Sean Bowen really at the moment is a freelancing jockey who rides for good people, but he hasn't got um, 
a big trainer to go to. So when the entries come out, you can't say, right, you've got three favourites at Fosslas, we'll go there and you get three other good rides. Mm. He's picking up six spare rides, gotcha. the best of what you've got. And then it's down to luck. And, you know, no how you how good an agent or how good a trainer you are, it's down to luck. You could ride two in a race, you pick the wrong one, the other one wins, and it's you lose one, so it's like losing two, really. That's how I looked at it. The McCoy relationship. Now, obviously, you'd had a lot of success with Adrian Maguire up to that point, mm -hmm. and that's probably the most epic championship battle of all time, even though yeah. you came off the losing end of it. Was there a point where you thought, oh, my God, like, I think I'm quite good at booking rides, but I'm going to have to raise my game if, I, if I'm going to deliver this guy, McCoy, what he's worthy of in terms of his own insatiable appetite? I think the Adrian Maguire year was um, very unusual, especially in jump racing, to have two jockeys go that far, nigh on injury free and still on the last day had a chance to win and that was a hard one to take you know we were we tried everything you could within the rules to win that um championship and maybe a couple not within the rules um but um and we come off second best yeah, right. oh, i'm allowed to say that now so what <clears throat> what boundaries were you pushing in that year, I mean, we're talking '94. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I would say, and including Mr. Dunwoody, um, as you get to the end and the last few weeks, and Adrian was in front for a lot of it. Mm. Um, you know, you start to pull in a favour. You ask one of your other jockeys, "Would you get off a horse to let Adrian ride that? He hasn't got a ride in the race." Mm -hmm. And if he's a friend of Adrian, he would go down that route. And if the same Richards man would be doing the same. And if he was a friend of Richard, he'd go down that route. And so it's not really within the rules, but, you know, it's the same, I think, if Harry Cobden had ridden... Well, i give you the perfect example. Adrian Maguire rode the first five winners at Plumpton one day. Mm -hmm. And the last race was a two-runner race. And he was on the second favourite of John Fitch Hayes. And Rowan O'Sullivan, um, Darren O'Sullivan, yeah, yeah. was on the favourite. And we all stood outside the wearing at Plumpton and everybody agreed that they'd switch and put Adrian on the favourite before, you know, to be the first jump jockeys to do the six winners. And the O'Sullivans were all for it, and John Fitch Hayes was all for it, and the stewards said no. <laughs> I rest my case. And that would have been for racing, not just because it was us and Adrian Maguire, but for racing, for a jump jockey to do that would have been never repeated. I, I guess, think. though, if you'd had the scenario yeah. where the horse you'd got off had gone and won that race. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> And it's a match as well. Yeah. But you and can't we think like that, of, can you? <laughs> we, were in the, we were in the era of some pretty contentious matches back yeah. then as well. Mm. That you'll be, you'll be, you'll yes. be well familiar with. <laughs> but um, you can't think like that because, not disrespect to John Fitch Hayes, but the other horse I think was one to seven or something. Oh, so it was oh, kind right. of a yeah, bit, right, okay. you know. But yes, the scenario could have happened where yeah. it could have been ten lengths clear jump and the last fell and. You know, that would have been it. I think I'd have finished. <laughs> it, was a, it was a virtual walkover. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, interesting. Um, I mean, just going back to that, I mean, that Maguire Dunwoody year obviously <clears throat> kind of took your career to a, another level. Definitely. So how did it change your mentality? What th were you doing differently after that? Set yourself up for the McCoy years. I think um, when Adrian came off second best, it was instantly my obsessiveness, I presume, but it was you wanted a champion jockey straight away. And I thought that would be Adrian Maguire at that time. You know, there was no reason why Adrian could come out the next year and be champion jockey. Um, but he became, unfortunately, injury-free. Uh, sorry, injury-stricken. Yeah. Um, and once you've got that, then your title chance is over. You know, you nearly have to be 
in, in this era, say 12 months a year, you, you could get away with one collarbone, but that's two's too many. Mm. You, know, you lose eight winners, that's 16 to catch up. That's how I always used to look at it. You know, it's, if you miss one and someone else gets one, you're, you're, it's double really because you've got to find more and more winners. So I became very driven on I wanted a champion jockey and the rest is history. So along come Mr. McCoy and Mr. Johnson and we were very spoilt, you know, very, very spoilt by the luck and the success we had. Um, yeah, I feel very proud and very humble as well. How similar are they as human beings, do you think? Totally different. Both driven, both wanted the same thing. Um, AP, as we all know, was obviously very intense, and but he was. Um, Dicky always seemed was a bit more relaxed, you know. Though he wanted it as much, and riding against each other, they wanted it. Dicky always came across a bit more relaxed. Whereas AP actor. was always, possibly, possibly, yeah. Because when <clears throat> AP retired, I mean, that was the first conversation that you know. In my working life, bearing in mind the position that Richard was in, which really was some way clear of the next person mm. you know I said to myself I, I have to make him champion jockey this year and AP said you know you've got to get him champion jockey because they're very good friends and there was a lot of respect and you know it was a lot of pressure on that year more than some of the years with AP but I've asked you this before but I've reflected on it a bit more now um, the whole deal of Johnson finishing second to McCoy so many times yet you being both their agents and when I'll never forget when McCoy retired the day he retired and Richard Johnson burst into tears in the mm. interview. I mean, and not just a bit emotional, he mm. burst into floods of tears. Mm. And I thought, it's Stockholm Syndrome. He, he's, he's, like, he's like he's in love with his captor. He can't, yeah, yeah. like, how do you, yeah. he doesn't know what to do now. He's free from the shackles of having McCoy I think the pressure. Him. I think the pressure then went on him even more because he obviously thought, you know, I, I should be champion jockey. Mm. To be second that many times is... Um, unprecedented so he probably like I did he probably thought you know I've got to do it now I've got to do it and it was that was one of the most pressurized years yeah was that quite terrifying yeah definitely because if we'd have I not Richard if I'd have failed then I would have seen that as a failure on my behalf but did you ever think in that in that period where they were one and two all the time I'm I'm kind of failing Richard Johnson here because he is sort of predestined by the way that this is all set up to be to, to not beat McCoy I see. I never saw that. Um, I'm sure there are people, and people have said it to me. You know, how did you manage to do the two, and why didn't Richard Johnson go with another agent? But you never saw it like that. Because I know I was doing the same job for the both of them. Mm. And as an agent, and whoever comes and puts their name in the hat, you've got no given right to ring. Say, if I rang you for your horse and said Tony McCoy's available, for whatever reason, you might just think, well, it's not for me. I'll have Richard Johnson. So you can only put the names forward, no matter if it's your champion jockey or a conditional. Yeah. You've got no given right to get that ride. And did you ever, for a minute, in those 20 years, think McCoy could be beaten? No. It's the honest answer. I can say that now. No. And that's no detriment to any other jockeys I did, and obviously Richard. But I just, you know, there was we had a conversation yesterday at Sandown, and it was, you know, if the entries, we'd already be working out that like, there'd be a helicopter booked to Hexham already. Mm. He's going, you know, there's, and, and there'll be six rides, and it doesn't matter if he's off playing golf in Spain or he's booked a week in Spain. You know, he'd go for five days and he's back and he's at Hexham, and, and it would be no disrespect, but it would be for 
a lesser trainer, maybe four eight to one chances, but there's no way he wouldn't be there. And he every meeting, if there was say air on a Monday on its own, I would ring up and say, oh, uh, Ben Haslam's got one in the first, you know, be joint favourite, probably should win. No question of not going. One ride there, and it was it was just the it was the mentality as well of him that. Um, he knew he, he couldn't be beaten as well, and that's not arrogance. It was just the, the blindfold of you know, win, win, win. Well, a week until the Kipco 1000 Guineas will, of course, already know the result of the Colt Classic by the time this show comes to you a week from now. So, with the new market classics around the corner. Um, time for a chat with uh, David Redvers, the racing and bloodstock manager to Sheikh Farhad's Qatar Racing has been heavily instrumental in the sponsorship um, of these races by Kipco, now stretching back more than a decade. And um, we are really kicking into gear now with this flat season. David, good morning. Morning, Nick. Um, I, was it 2010 you started sponsoring these races, Kipco? Yes, yes. It was, I think, the 10th... Anniversary last year, and the um, and so this I mean, our first year was Frankel winning, um, so it was a hell of a curtain raiser for us. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, and clearly something that Sheikh Farhad and, and you are, are, are committed to, and and a sort of real launch, launch pad of the season. Um, just looking ahead to to next weekend, how enthused are you by the by the Colts Classic? First of all, the two thousand guineas. Well, it's the. Uh, it's the race. It's the, the most exciting race of the year for for people in our industry, in the bloodstock industry, because it's where, you know, the it tends to be the highest rated race for three year olds in in the world that year. Um, has been for several several years during our tenure, if, if not every year during our tenure, twelve year tenure, and um, and the horse that wins this is becomes the focus um, for all of us in the industry for the for the for the rest of the year and for the next several years because they always end up becoming an exciting selling prospect. So, yeah, it's going to be a, another race of the ages. We, we've got hugely exciting horses um, and there's always the big question of are they going to genuinely stay or are they going to end up running back in the Commonwealth um, uh, among some of the leading contenders. So it's going to be, it's going to be fascinating. And, of course, you and, and Shafai had tasted success with, with Cameco in this race. You're now standing him... Uh, as a stallion, uh, how has he been received? Oh, brilliantly. We've had his first, we've had his first foals this year. I, I only see, well, it was a bizarre year, the year he won, because obviously we had no crowds, uh, we had no one there, just just the, the, the participants. Um, so it, it never really felt quite the same as winning a, as winning a 2,000 guineas might have done. Um, but he's, you know, I blink and it, see, it seems like yesterday that happened, so it's rather strange to have Feels full of his foals here now already, but we're um, yeah we're in very good shape. Uh, and what sort of mares is he is he covering? What do people see him as? Well, he was a he was a top race in Miler. I mean, he's um, he's funnily enough when you look at him now, he almost looks sharper than that. He's got such an enormous hip. Um, he, he looks more of a speed horse almost. But he's the great thing about standing a two thousand guineas winner is that they end up covering. Lots of sprint mares and, and quite a few ten furlong little distance mares as well because you're smack bang in the middle of the spectrum so you you fit pretty much everything so he's had a, a wonderful amount of support from nearly every big breeder in Europe. I mean, you've been heavily instrumental in trying to sort of 
shape the season and give it some, <coughs> some structure with this Guineas weekend at the beginning and uh, Kipco British Champions Day at the end. Conceptually, how would you rate the progress of that, both in terms of the, the series itself and, and the, way that the, the way that that bulk of the season is marketed by the sport? Well, it's, um, <clears throat> it's an interesting one. The, the, the idea was just to try and flag up uh, and identify to the wider public the elite season. So that in, in the same way that um, maybe with Formula One, everyone knows it has a massive following. Everybody knows who the leading contenders are, you know, in, in very basic terms, obviously. What we really wanted to do was try and ensure that the British public, uh, who we were losing to other sports, would um, would clearly identify what the best races were. Um, and and that's really worked quite well, we think. Um, and obviously finishes on Champions Day, which has been um, been one of the greatest success stories in British racing in recent years. Uh, and in terms of, uh, of Qatar Racing's own involvement in the sport and its representation on some of these, these big race days, where, where is the operation at now in terms of its strength, scope, ambition? Well, we're, we, the, the operations, as a lot of operations do, they mature. And obviously, at the end of the day, we're driven entirely by Sheikh Fahad and his brother's desires to, to race at the top end and pr produce their own stock. And whilst we started out by buying lots of horses, uh, we've, we've since been able to convert those into breeding stock. And as obviously we show with Standing Cameco and previously Roaring Lion and, and Lightning Spear and Havana Gold, all horses that we raced. Um, and the vast majority of the broodmares we have on the farm now are fillies that we raced. Uh, and a lot of them are very, very high class race mares. Um, so the, <clears throat> the operation is, is changing. <laughs> Excuse me, so cold. Um, and the um, uh, and so the, it was really exciting. Our two best horses this year are in fact homebreds. So for best three-year-olds, um, and we've got um, uh, Buckaroo with Joseph O'Brien, who we hope might turn into a Derby horse. They so might run in the Irish size at uh, two thousand guineas. And we've got mise en scene in the thousand guineas. Uh, mise en scene, who who now with Inspiral out must be one of the. <laughs> Leading fancies for the for the one thousand guineas. I hope so. Um, I mean, it's, it's disappointing for the race and disappointing for the sponsor. Obviously, that that Inspiral, who's been, you know, was the best two year old last year, won't be turning up. Hopefully, we'll see her later in the season. Um, but yes, it gives us a better chance. I'll be honest. I, when I saw the news this morning, it was uh, uh, mixed feelings. I'm going to let you have a have a, a good big cough while I ask you the next question. Um, you might need to. Um, <coughs> <laughs> uh, we need a, need a cough button at Tween Hills. Um, uh, am I right in thinking that you are, you are in part taking on the boss with a, a horse that you're involved in, Malavath? Yes. Um, it, it's, uh, well, he actually is also involved slightly because he has a small share in, in Everest uh -huh. Racing. Um, but uh, she was at the Breeze Ups last year. I loved her. Um, she was one. She was very early in the sale at Arcana, and um, she's she's turned out to be very very good. And it's very exciting to be involved with a filly with great friends. Um, that's uh, that's a, a very live contender. But is she better than mise en scène? Oh God knows. I mean, I think the the difference is that Francis has, has got a, a, a very impressive prep run into winning the Prix Imprudence uh, in, in very very taking fashion. Um, 
James feels possibly that mise-en-scene might end up being about a 10 furlong filly. Um, so we're, we'll have to see. <laughs>